This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a fan favorite extraordinaire. We have uh, Corey Wright. He's the managing broker at William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. Uh, One of the fastest growing brokerages, I think, uh, probably in the commercial world, but also I feel like just in... In real estate in general. They don't sponsor our show. They don't. Uh, but, but they uh, are they're booming. William Wright is booming. And uh, yeah, I think Corey defines past guest fan favorite. Yeah, exactly. So super happy to have Corey on the program. We are checking in on what's happening in the commercial real estate market in Vancouver, kind of in BC. Where we, we talk about the different asset classes. We also talk about Kelowna a little bit, which is exciting. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing here uh, for me is that the last time we had Corey on was basically March, I think, right. when we had a Zoom call and everybody was kind of in, in panic mode. And now uh, this this conversation happened a couple of days ago, but this morning it was, it was uh, released that Great Britain has... Uh, approved the Pfizer vaccine, so we're we're heading around that corner, right. uh, and the commercial real estate market, I think, is going to see a lot of changes. So it's kind of checking in nine months later uh, where we're at in commercial, where the opportunities are. It's a really great conversation, and uh, I don't think there's too many people out there that have their finger on the pulse like Corey does. No, and and you know what, this is an interesting one because we've you know we've talked about this on the program, but there's a lot of things happening right now. Um, with people working from home, with uh, a lot of restaurants kind of moving to DoorDash and different delivery services. And then also uh, when you think about what's happening just in a lot of shops that are moving online, this has got to create some opportunity for people looking to get into the commercial real estate market, you would would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, I mean, find out here first. We've got Corey Wright today. But before we get to our talk with Corey Adam, there's a few things we should take care of. Yeah. One is the Sellers Club. <laughs> now, December, let's just start by saying we're in December now. Yeah. Uh, things are- November was not as busy as October, but busy, generally speaking, for this time of year. That's right. November, it was a busy November right. uh, for sure. Uh, but as we get into December, you know, listings slow down. 
I, I would I would say some people would argue it's a better time to list because there's very few listings out there and you can be one sure. on, the, on the market. And there's a case to be made there. But for the most part, I think people are holding off till the new year. We're talking February when the spring market kind of takes off. I feel like we're talking to a lot of people right now about plans for 2021. And there may be no better plan than to sign up for the Sellers Club. Yeah, Matt. It, and you know what? I just want to – I'll preface the Sellers Club by just saying that – I had a good a good chat with a friend of mine, a colleague, I should say, fellow realtor, yesterday about the idea of, you know, traditionally at this time of year, you're almost telling people to pump the brakes and wait until the spring market, right? If they're thinking of selling, right? And and his logic, and I, I don't disagree with it, is we've still got a lot of activity in this market. Uh, better to know the devil, so he's still launching stuff in December. Um, which is an interesting strategy as well. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting time. It's still a very busy market. So it just depends how you're feeling, how quickly you can get ready. But I'll tell you how you get ready is you sign up for the Sellers Club. Now, there's actionable plans on this Sellers Club. Tell me exactly. a little bit about this, Adam. So here's the thing, Matt. The Sellers Club, we've designed it basically so that you get top dollar in the shortest amount of time when you want to sell your property. So this, these are the items that – it's the house cleaning items. Um, and actually, house cleaning is one of those items. But uh, it is the <laughs> Spoiler house Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 the, it's the actions that you need to take to get your property ready. And it, it covers everything. And it's, it's, basic, it's based off of how we roll out listings. Right. Really. Exactly. Exactly. Primarily the sold plan, right? Yeah. Sold plan, start on launch date, work backwards. So figure out when you want to list. Then you start at basically that launch date and then you go with, there's basically a timetable how to get there. Exactly. So Sellers Club, sign up today, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah. And you just, and basically just write us an email, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or to Matt or myself and just put in Sellers Checklist or Sellers Club and we will get back to you with a link to the documents. We'll also add you to a list for future resources that are going to be coming. Absolutely. Not to be missed. But Adam, the other thing that happened this week before we get to our sponsor. <laughs> I'm fresh off the- You're fresh off the I'm boat. fresh off the boat. Yeah, yeah literally. Literally, I'm, I'm literally fresh, fresh off, off the, the ferry. Yeah, I, I got stuck I guess in Victoria. You know what? They always say realtors are a part of the essential services, which I guess technically we are. It feels very uncomfortable well, to say that. Well, it was a little uncomfortable uh-huh. with the numbers increasing. As you was, were uh, you were doing some essential travel. I was doing some essential travel. We had um, uh, a project that a lot of listeners will be familiar with um, called Langford Tower. So this is in Langford, BC. It's on Vancouver Island. It's just on the outskirts of Victoria. Really, really nice place uh, to visit. I went to. I so I went for a day trip. We had a. You were you were doing some deficiency walkthroughs. Deficiency walkthroughs. I had se- now, and, six and, or seven scheduled in one morning. And this is just for listeners who don't know. With new construction, when the developer completes a project, right, they bring through usually the buyer to and potentially an inspector to go through the unit and just look You're for pointing out deficiencies. minor deficiencies, right? Yeah, and 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 major as well, uh, but. <laughs> But in reality, it's it's you know you're walking, you're testing the appliances, you're you're looking for deficiencies. You're There's looking a lot for of, drips of paint on the there, flooring. Well, yeah, and you got painters tape. You're marking the place up, and and it, I gotta say, like we we showed up and. We were hoping – I was hoping to spend a few hours. You were going to be in and out of there in the morning. Yeah. I was going to do it in the morning. I was going to catch the ferry back in the afternoon. I was going to go about my life. Um, I got stuck there. And the reason being is there was a power outage and we couldn't do the inspection. It was very windy. It was very windy. <laughs> I felt it on the boat. Actually, quick side note. Uh, I went to uh, get a snack and used the washroom on the ferry mm-hmm. and the ferry was swaying back and forth. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm I'm like on your back, I'm, flat on your back. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that that would have been less embarrassing, I think, than what actually happened. But I'm uh, I'm in line getting a snack, and uh, on the intercom, it said, uh, "Would the owner of a silver BMW, uh, your alarm is going off." I guess uh, I'm I'm like the guy. I guess I left my car locked, and the boat shook a little bit. Yeah, the yeah. alarm went off. Anyways, family-sized bag of M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> You're running down. 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't have. I had a coffee. But Waving I was to everybody like, around you. I'm I was, sorry. I'm I was sorry. doing like the, the queen wave as I as I came in. Everybody looking at me like this is the jab in your face. Yeah, five, five hours like five hours later. No, it was like ten minutes. But I, I came in. I came in. The alarm was going off. Uh, anyways, that was that's never happened to me before. But uh, it was, oh, it was pretty bad. That's a great story. Uh, anyways, but so uh, the the one thing though is is uh, anyways I was there for two days. I spent a lot yeah, of time. Yeah, because you didn't. You basically had to get a uh, a hotel because I had to get you a hotel. Couldn't do the walkthroughs. I yeah, I'm never too busy for your referrals. I work <laughs> hard for my clients. I stayed. I asked my I asked my wife to get me um, Sabrina. She was in front of a computer, so I said, "Book me a hotel," and uh, she booked me. I won't. I won't. It'll remain nameless, but. Holy man, that was a bad, uh, <laughs> bad hotel on the outskirts of Victoria. <laughs> Overall, though, you know, I mean, I, I could have went without staying overnight. I think, but right. generally speaking, uh, spending time in Langford, it was uh, it was good to see like how much development was going on. They still definitely retain like this kind of the small town kind of community feel. But man, is that place booming right now? And uh, it it shows like you're driving down streets, a lot of de- development. And I was really pleased with uh, Langford Tower, like just how the building presented overall. Right. Well, and the thing that strikes me about uh, Langford Tower and uh, and Langford more generally is like these guys, they got all these units rented. Yeah, and they rent them before they're even done. Well, that's the concept. The concept is that they build like a they try and build a superior rental product so that when people are out, it, it keeps the the vacancy rate like the sub vacancy rate even lower, right, for the building because when people are comparing different units to rent, they'll choose this every time. That's that's part of it. Yeah. Anyway, so no good stuff. Glad you made it back. But what else do we got before we talk to Corey about the commercial market? We are sponsored this week by Oakland Realty. Yes. This is our brokerage, one of the fastest growing companies in Canada. Top 200. Top 200. Uh, Great place to be, great resources, great culture, even if a lot of people are working from home right now. So if you're an aspiring agent, a new agent, somebody looking to make a change, consider Oakland Realty. I would say uh, do more than consider Oakland Realty. Head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. This is where you get the holiday surprise. Yes. This is an incentive to sign up. giant surprise. Oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. You will not be disappointed. Tell them the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast sent you. Yeah. But without further ado, let's cut to our interview with the best dressed real estate agent, commercial real estate broker, yeah. I should say, in the business. Uh, this guy's got neckerchiefs worth more than my suits. <laughs> Corey Wright. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Corey Wright, managing broker at William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. How you doing, Corey? Good. Thanks so much for having me back, guys. Uh, we have to say this, past guest, <laughs> fan favorite. <laughs> Thanks Corey, so much for taking the time. Corey is almost in a position to get like the seven timer jacket, yeah. but we know he wouldn't wear it unless it was <laughs> Gucci or something. I'm not, I'm not sure what it would have to be to get Corey to put it on, but uh, we if, couldn't afford it. Let's yeah, put it that yeah, way. Exactly. Anything from you guys, I'll wear. I uh, promise. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> And we'll photograph it and put it online. <laughs> but uh, Corey, we should say best dressed guy in the business, but also definitely in this room. Uh, we got two guys in oversized garbage bags, and we got Corey in, in impeccably dressed. Well, th- this is only for you guys. Usually, I'm walking around like I said in sweatpants and t-shirts in my office, and you guys call, and I have to go to the tailors right away. <laughs> so, Corey, a lot of our listeners know who you are. You've kind of uh, you've you've be- you've become kind of the uh, uh, well the authority on this podcast at least about for commercial real estate. And I would say in Vancouver in general, you guys, I see your signs everywhere. Once you way. see a William Wright sign, uh, you start noticing them all over the all place. All over town. That's for sure. It's yeah. good. It's good. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of them right now. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad <laughs> A lot thing. of listings. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's probably good and bad, I guess, to some degree. I think the perception from the public standpoint is commercial is probably dead. It's probably like there's going to be inventory everywhere. And we are, we are amazingly busy. And I think in, when you look at Vancouver and you go back a couple of years ago, if there's any commercial market that can probably take a blow, it's probably Vancouver. And when you look at like the office market, for example, we had unhealthy vacancy rates where these lease rates were just climbing. It looked like week over week over month over month. And there was tenants that were lining up and writing checks and landlords could pretty much write 
a number and a tenant most likely would pay it. And I think what we've done is we've might have had one space available at one point and there might have been 10 tenants available to take it. Now you might not have one. Now you might have three spaces available, for example. And you don't have 10 tenants, but now you have five. Well, five is still bigger than three. Right. So as long as absorption stays you know, steady, things kind of hold their own. Now, does that change six months or a year down the road? I unfortunately don't have that crystal ball. But so far, the absorption of the available product has been overwhelming. Wow. So uh, maybe if we just even go through some of the different uh, product types um, or, or asset classes, I guess. First of all, maybe just retail, thinking yeah. about retail space. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of businesses that have, have gone out of business. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of places. A lot that of places hanging, just, hanging on by a thread right now, I would imagine. Or even you think of small gyms that just had to close their doors for the last two weeks after yeah. having had their doors closed, just reopened. Um, are you seeing uh, are, are you seeing a lot of challenges out there in the and on the retail side of things? Retail, without a doubt, will probably be the most challenging asset class. If we go sort of pre-pandemic, the the face of retail has been slowly changing over the years. And if you look at it sort of from a dentist standpoint, if you were to get your teeth cleaned ten years ago, you probably went to an office building and you probably went up four or five floors. If you look at the dentist model now, is they're all on the retail level. So. The retail, the face of retail was already changing. This is, I think, is going to expedite that. And, and through that progress, unfortunately, I think there's going to be some, some types of businesses, maybe some smaller mom and pop type operations or maybe some small restaurants that may not come out the other side in a good position on it. So, so if I understand, because we've been talking a lot on this podcast now about uh, trends pre-COVID uh, just accelerating through 2020. Yeah. Is that what you're seeing in the retail market? 100%. 100%. And, and let me understand the, cause the dentist model is actually, um, an interesting one. What's, can you kind of unpack exactly what's going on there? Well, I think your, your finding is, is in the retail side of it, you're getting a lot more professional services and medical uses and all that stuff that are coming into the retail just for the exposure. And if you look at, you mean, the, we'll just take the dentist model again. You mean companies like 1-800-GOT-DENTIST have created a brand, a brand awareness for right. product. And for that brand to sort of continue to be exposed, you've got to be on a retail level. People aren't looking six floors up and saying, hey, that's 1-800-GOT-DENTIST up there. So you're seeing a lot more professional services come onto the retail level, and I think that will continue. I think every sort of major crisis we've gone through over the past 20 years, there's always been a sort of an escalation of change, and the stronger ones have sort of come out the other side in the face of retail, I think is going to be a great example. Over the next 24 months, we'll probably see that, that change be escalated from maybe where it would be five years ago to where it is now. It's interesting. I'm just on a side note, nothing to do with uh, with maybe why it's happening, but I just started noticing so many dentists uh, opening up on the retail level, yeah. And the branding has changed. There's one in there's one in Chinatown that almost looks like a craft brewery, like the branding, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember thinking about it, just going like, this is. Uh, I don't know if I want to go there to get my teeth. <laughs> I want to go there and drink a pint, but uh, <laughs> um, but I never noticed that. But that's actually true. Like you are seeing medical services at the at the retail level. Is there is there walk by traffic? Is that a big component of it? I think it's more exposure. Yeah. And I think when you look at Vancouver, we got so many like professional type companies. And Vancouver maybe ten years ago wasn't really sort of like a head office market like a Toronto or New York is. It's probably not even fair to call it that now. But you're getting so many more companies coming into this area, like an Amazon, and everybody's got medical plans. Mm-hmm. Right. So you mean so getting them onto the retail level, creating that exposure and that awareness is I think is really going to help obviously propel their business. And that's why right. they once you mean retail's a copycat industry. One guy goes and does something, it works really, really well. His competitor says, Hey, we should do it. And it just sort of propels itself from there. Mm-hmm. So let's maybe maybe move into office space because right now a lot of people working from home. Um, you would imagine that there's a lot of offices sitting empty right now. Yeah. How's that market doing? Well, we ha- there's a lot more product on the market than we've probably seen in the past couple of years. Uh, a lot of product for sublease. And what you're seeing out there now is some companies that have completely sort of forlonged the whole office model altogether, they've probably paid some historically high lease rates for their property. And because of the inventory that's available in the office market, especially in the downtown core, you're probably finding some really good opportunity on the sublease side of it. Maybe some shorter terms or medium term leases where you're getting below market rates. Because from a business standpoint, if I'm paying 10000 in rent, and I might be sitting on this for six months or even two or three years. 
Well, if I lease it out to somebody else for 7000 well, that's only 3000 a month I have to pay. And they're kind of taking that and, right. and digesting that aspect of it. So that's there. I really think the office market will, you know, propel itself and come back. If you look at, you know, 9-11.com bubble burst of 2000, the financial meltdown 0809, every single time people said the office market is dead. When 9-11 hit, people said no one will ever live in a tower again. No, no one will ever go into a high, high rise office space for work. They're unsafe. Three years later, it's, it's a booming market again. So it's been very resilient. You I mean, the office market has a very diverse type of tenants that can occupy it. And I think in the Vancouver marketplace, because tech is such a huge driver of our office market, that we will probably won't be as scarred as some other industries, maybe uh, some other areas, like maybe a Calgary, for example, which was already you know, very challenged going into the pandemic. And this could be a, a sort of a really wayward scenario for some office landlords coming out of this down the road right. that I think Vancouver obviously will have its hiccups. But I think because of the types of tenants that we have, we will be able to weather the storm better than maybe some other communities can. I'm just thinking, and this is, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, a lot of what um, you've been hearing over the last six months, eight months has been exactly that, right? That the office is dead. People are going to be, uh, people are working from home. That's the future. Coupled with this idea of like mental health issues are spiraling out of control, right? And I think those are totally linked in a way that, I mean, it's maybe clear to a lot of people, but I had an epiphany in the shower yesterday morning where (laughs) where it's like people are not as happy working from home. Like I I don't agree that people are as productive, uh, at least from what, you know, anecdotally what we see. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but. You know that we'll save that argument for for another day. Right. But it's more about um, I think people are are happier uh, going into work. I don't. I, I think the the nine eleven is a is a great example of that. Right. I mean, it's like this idea that no one wants to live vertically anymore. Nobody yeah. wants to be in city centers. It's dangerous. I I think people are social. I think people have a short attention span. And yeah. I think I think actually the numbers climbing is an example of how much people want to get back to social spaces, right? It's a great example. Um and you think about Halloween, right? It's like all these kids or or and not even kids, like young adults that are around Granville that are yeah. are not wearing their masks and they're hugging yeah. and kissing and they they don't care. Right? What what's I think become clear to me uh is we had, um, and I'm blanking on his name, New York Times bestselling author uh, who wrote the book on the pandemic of 1919. His name is John Barry. John Barry, right, right. John Barry was on the show early pandemic, and we said, "What is it? What do we look like coming out the other side of this?" And I think that Halloween was what made me think of it, as well as when Pfizer announced uh, uh, those 90 percent results and kind of the stock market went bananas. Yeah, uh, the Roaring Twenties. I, right. I think we're in for the minute people. It's going to be a couple years. Halloween of made you hard, think of that? Well, no, well, no, because Granville was just jam packed with people. It's like yeah. people are itching to to spend money. Well, I, I think mean, I think you're going to find too that that we've had this massive buildup of anticipation for the second wave, and everyone's been fearing the fall. And I think what could happen is come springtime, people are all going to walk out of their houses. They're all going to touch themselves and be like, "Hey, I'm still alive. Let let's get back to business." And there's going to be that surge of business out there that's going to run back into it because people, you know, we feel like we're almost past this. And that will probably hopefully be coupled with some form of a treatment or a vaccine or, or some new, something new that we can work with on that aspect of it. But I think there'll be a, a lot of excitement on the other side that could spur a lot of business. Mm-hmm. I'm actually already, so this week I've had the conversation about the vaccine, the, the Pfizer, Pfizer is now claiming 95% as well. And was Ma- it Moderna? Is, Moderna was, was yeah. 90. Yeah. 94 and change or whatever. But the the big thing is that alone has triggered phone calls where people are saying, Hey, what's the window for downtown looking like right now? Because they're, they're thinking that this, this vaccine is going to come in the new year. And should I, is now going to be kind of the bottom. Like, is there still time to kind of carve out a deal in downtown Vancouver? So I feel like it's on people's minds that, that the world's going to go back to normal and, yeah. and this window of, of opportunity is shrinking, I think. Well, I think if you look at it too, like when we, I mean, obviously there's there's been talk of in some cities and, and countries, they've gone to some rollbacks to situations or they've gone even into lockdowns again. And I think because we've kind of been through it now, we kind of know what to anticipate. Like, okay, we're all going to hang out for a month and then we're going to get back to it. 
um, in, in probably a new form. But I, I don't think there's probably that looming fear that I think people are learning how to like live with it in, in a way. We're taking new measures by, you know, people aren't standing next to each other on an escalator anymore. Like the courtesy is there that you go, I mm-hmm. wait, I go four steps behind. So as society, I think we're making those adjustments that people are learning to live with it the best they can. And I think you know, ultimately we have to move on. We can't yeah. hang out at home for two years and think this is all going to go. Like the government is funding a lot of this to keep us going. That that can only go on for so long before the next 20 years where our kids will end up paying for it. So we got to get back to business in a new form. And I think people are itching to do that. I think companies are itching to do that. Yeah. Before we move on to the other segments of the commercial market, I just want to, I've been watching, we've been watching a lot of movies in this uh, most recent lockdown. And I'm now, I don't know, it's, it's, it's funny. Like when you're watching people in like crowded spaces, I'm like, as if. Yeah. Like, <laughs> look, at this, look at these people oh, yeah. kissing, shaking <laughs> yeah. hands, like as if. Like this, it's almost like suspended belief now. That was because, so 2019. Yeah. Yeah. It feels dated. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Um, okay, Corey. So thinking about, uh, we've talked a little bit about office space. We've talked a little bit about uh, the retail space. What about industrial? Ridiculously hot market going into this going to be right. hotter coming out of it. And I think when you look at the industrial market from quite some time ago, they were very, very large spaces with loading bays. Now industrial, are, you can find them in as small as probably 2,000 square foot industrial strata lots. The zonings have become so much more flexible, which has just pushed the tenant pool way, way up. You have the largest amount of owner occupiers that can sort of buy their own spaces in industrial versus the office and the retail markets. The price point on a price per foot is typically cheaper, but in saying that, that number has been rising quite consistently. That, you mean, coming out of this, it's going to be an even tougher market to get into. The tenant pool is bigger. And I think a lot of retailers that maybe have large footprints, they've been forced to think digital whether they want to or not. And if my digital sales to my website dramatically go up, well, I don't need to pay to sit in Pacific Center to drive my website. I can go take warehouse space on Shell Street or number five road in Richmond at probably a quarter of the price, maybe a tenth of the price I'm paying for some prime real estate. And I'm, and I'm shipping out of a, out of a warehouse now. And I think that's forcing a lot of companies to look at that model and you know, what happens with the, the large retailers that don't operate maybe like a vertical retail model. They might be challenged and that might be sort of a, a shrinking retail footprint and an expanding industrial footprint. Interesting. We, you know, we, we had you on, it was probably now three or four years ago. And I think your, you said your, the best investment was industrial. So are the, yeah. those people that bought industrial at that time, are they winners? Uh, I think, yeah, arguably, I think they were, they probably came out ahead. Like you, we've seen because the lease rates have gone up so dramatically. And I remember doing very small lease deals. This is probably going back six, seven, eight years ago now where they're like six to $8 a foot. And now these same spaces are renting out for like 20, 22, 23, which when you look at it on a percentage basis, it's, crazy. it's a ridiculous increase. And that's obviously pushed prices up. Investors have come in the marketplace. So it, it's, it's a marketplace that's done extremely well. I'll be lying to you. I don't think any of us expected it to be as good as it has. The fundamentals were there and the economics were there for it to be good. But I think anyone that told you that it could quadruple itself in that time period is probably lying to you. And and it sounds like uh, it's been a frothy market for a while, but um, based on kind of this accelerated 2020 changes we've seen, uh, you're still thinking industrial looks pretty positive. I think coming out of this, you'll hear terms like beds and sheds, and that's referring to multifamily and industrial. And industrial because the tenant pool is growing and the I think the retail footprint of some major companies could shrink and that will push more into industrial. So you're getting a larger tenant pool to draw from with a market that already doesn't really exist. That coupled with cities as they look to create OCPs and create more density for towers, you find old industrial sites that are 20, 30,000 square feet that might have a 3,000 square foot building sitting on it and the rest is used as yard space. Right. Well, you may be able to put 300 homes on there. So cities are shrinking the the inventory of land available through OCPs and developers are acquiring it. The tenant pool is rapidly growing pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. I think a lot of retailers are going to look more into that market, that it's going to be a, a marketplace that's going to be a lot harder to get into than it was you know, six months ago, as hard as it was then. And then you also hear beds, and that refers to multifamilies. Pandemic or not, people need somewhere to live. They don't have to open a business, but they have to live somewhere. This has been a surprising thing of of this year uh, to me because, you know, March we were talking about rent deferrals, um, 
you know, that was the big fear on a lot of our investor clients' uh, minds, right? Yeah. Multifamily has has weathered the storm very well. Yes. Like it's a very, very busy marketplace, which is kind of counterintuitive when you're taking on, say, 30, 40 tenants at a time and worried about the rents being paid. Yeah. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about multifamily in 2020? Yeah. So I think when you look at multifamily, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of ironic to some degree because uh, the NDP has has removed sort of the, the minimum increase plus the CPI. Right, there's a rent freeze next yeah, year. Yeah, just no, to just CPI. Well. They've n- recently announced a rent freeze. So if my rent is only going up, because my inventory and vacancy rates are so low, I don't get very much turnover. So realistically, I got to bank on, you mean, before the rent freeze, maybe a 2 to 2.5% rent increase. But my expenses for the building from insurances, which is probably going to go way up, but just my expenses from maintenance costs, garbage, recycling, hydro, those are probably going up 6 to 8% on an annual basis. So I'm actually going negative. But what's come in place because the interest rates have dropped so much the to sort of almost offset that type of thing that p- investors are looking at it from a safety net standpoint of, yes, my, my cap rate may not be as high, but my vacancy is literally almost zero, that I'll take that all day long versus maybe getting into a higher cap rate scenario in retail, which may not have the same consistency level over the next 24 months that a multifamily building would offer. Right. So very little risk. Very little risk right now. And you're finding a lot of institutional buyers and a lot of REITs are taking that up and they're taking on, you mean, looking for safe haven investments. I think BC as a whole, you know, obviously our numbers are higher now, but I think when you look at us versus the rest of the country, and I think when you look at us versus, you know, other places throughout the world and what's going on down south, we've almost become this like oasis of a bubble type of thing that I think a lot of investors will start to look to Canada and then also especially to BC from an investment standpoint where we get calls at our office from guys coming out of California that are looking to reposition their portfolios because they said there's a 24-month dark period ahead of them that they want to get into a marketplace that offers some form of safety and they're looking at repositioning portfolios and investing money into the BC marketplace. I was just talking to uh, a, a friend of mine, a fellow realtor, who was saying that he has helped I think seven or eight people from California buy places here, just sight unseen in yeah. the last uh, in like the last six months, yeah. or or even more four months, three or four months. I think he said we've seen a spike in in calls and coming new, out of and the movie California is hurting right now. That's well, for sure. Yeah. All these all these guys are in the movie industry, yeah, and all of them are saying that Vancouver, like everything's film, everything's going to be filming in Vancouver. Um, I don't know if you've been following that market, the the movie industry, but we've heard similar stories. Like we've yeah. heard uh, some some scenarios where like they're packing up full productions and they're completely moving them to Vancouver, out of California, at least for the next year, maybe two years, because they figure that's how much uh, it could take that long for everything to get under control. And they're moving like, the whole production up here, and they're talking, you know, the, you know, actors and everyone that that's key to the production to come up here, which obviously will be great because it will create a stimulus of, of employment opportunity for people within that industry. But I've, I've, we've talked to some people where they've had – they've heard like half a dozen to a dozen shows, like complete shows are completely uprooting and coming up here. And some of those shows can employ hundreds of people. Right. Yeah, his his comment was they're sick of fires and they're sick of crime. And it's, yeah. it's just been consistent from everybody he's talked to. Um, let's, let's maybe move on. Like part of the reason we brought you on, Corey, is because – we're super excited about this. You're you're now opening. Is it your fourth office? This would be our fifth fifth broker, office. brokerage office. Yeah. Wow. In Kelowna. Kelowna. Yeah. Wow. So that's exciting. So so tell us why why Kelowna. So we've been, we've been monitoring and following that marketplace for quite some time, probably going back four or five years now. And obviously, Kelowna has seen an increase over the past few years. Um, we feel the timing is right. We think obviously the pandemic is going to probably you know push more people into that marketplace. But there's so many industries up there now that are thriving, that are creating so many employment opportunities, and that's creating, you know, developers are buying land to build houses because more jobs are coming available and stuff like that, that we think Kelowna is a, is a sure bet market to get into. Uh, we have a lot of investors that have looked to that marketplace because cap rates down here are very challenging to work with, uh, challenging being very low, where you can go into Kelowna and sometimes get almost double the cap rate. Um, with very similar vacancy rates, which make it very, very attractive. So we're we're super excited. We have our office opening next uh, next month, and we'll have uh, we'll do a big launch in January once we get through the holidays. Where where in Kelowna are you? 
So we've purchased space in a new project up there, just uh, just off of uh, Ellis and Water Street, and but we have a temporary oh, nice. office space uh, as that one gets constructed. That will be uh, will be downtown Kelowna probably for about three or four months before we move to our, our new space. You know, just thinking about um, your guys' kind of growth trajectory here, but also how how you've approached 2020. I think the last time you were on the show was we were. We were in a Zoom call. You yeah. were in your basement. Yeah, uh, that was like the depths of uh, of despair. Um, but you guys have been kind of pretty aggressive over yeah. the course of 2020. Yeah, just in thinking of people that are listening and and uh, the uncertainty of these times. Like, how have you been thinking about 2020 as in terms of uncertainty and risk, and and kind of moving as quickly as you guys are moving as a company, but also you as an investor, like you're, yeah. you've been, you've had an active year. Yeah, and I think I think when you the reality is we can't just fold up shop as society and think this is over. Like we're not going to become extinct in 2021. I you know, knock on wood, anything's possible. I guess right now, but 2045 uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. but 2021. No. But I don't think it's going to happen. So I think as in any good business, you have to adapt. You got to adapt to change. And when we went into this right away, what you mean there was a lot of uncertainty out there. But I think when you look at historical other crisis that we've gone through as society, obviously not a medical pandemic like we are, but other crisis that we've gone through, that we've always come out somewhat okay. And we have to keep going. And I think a lot of people and companies may have looked at this. I don't want to say a holiday is the right word, but they've almost kind of looked at this as like, oh, we'll just, we'll resume down the road. We'll figure it out. And for us as a company, because we have a lot of clients that, that are counting on us, that we didn't take that turn a blind eye to this. We thought, hey, we have to keep going. We have a, we have a huge financial responsibility to our clients that we need to make sure we, we execute on what we say. So we had to quickly adapt to the changes, make internal changes really, really quickly and keep going. And I think when you look at, I was listening to a, a podcast by Gary Keller, who was one of the founders of Keller Williams, and he was talking about how he's been through so many recessions in that company. And I think Keller Williams actually was founded in one of the recession periods in the early eighties that during this time when your competition kind of goes a little bit maybe on hiatus, now's the time you, you pour gas to accelerate your growth. And then if you're growing and consistently growing during tough times, when the marketplace turns, you're going to shoot out the other side like a rocket right. and, and you, you won't get right. caught. So we've been very fortunate. We have an absolute phenomenal group of individuals that work with us. Um, I think any business, you know, regardless to your industry, your number one asset is your people. And I think we've got an extraordinary group of people we've assembled. We're very fortunate to have everybody, that everyone's been on the same wavelength from day one of the pandemic. No one sort of thought this is kind of like, okay, I'm going to go off for two months and come back. We were having company-wide Zoom calls. We were having guest speakers come in to talk to everybody. It was a really big collaborative effort. And because of everyone's hard work, you know, people still have space they got to lease. People still have product they got to sell. And they've all turned to us because of the activity we've created during this time period that people still need to do stuff. And they need a company's going to execute on that. And we've been very fortunate to field a lot of those phone calls and, and stuff's moving, whether it's being leasing or sales. So we're our, we don't plan on, on slowing down anytime soon. Right. It's interesting because I, I, I listened to a similar uh, – I'm a big fan of Gary Keller. But I, I remember hearing uh, the – I think this idea that if a market is shrinking and you're staying the same, you're actually growing by the percentage the market yeah. is shrinking. So you're actually – in a lot of ways, you're growing yeah. in, in a time of, uh, you know, quote, unquote, un- questionable recession, yeah. um, even though our industries are, are still very busy, right? So, I mean – Really, yeah, I, you're actually growing substantially in this. In we this, are. We, we're growing. Like we, we've, yeah. we've expanded our Victoria office. Uh, we're going into Kelowna, uh, which we have a great bunch of individuals up there. We'll be working with shortly. So, you I mean we're we're hiring people in our Vancouver office space as well. You I mean there's a you I mean art from a commercial standpoint, it's a very underserviced market to start with. Like, there's not a lot of of people that probably just do commercial, and I think. In a marketplace like this, where some of the larger companies have, have been restrained because the size of offices they have and they can't have everybody in, like we, our footprint for offices are a lot smaller. We have between four and eight individuals in an office space. And we were social distancing before it was even normal. We just didn't realize what we were doing <laughs> because our offices are smaller. We don't have people sitting on top of yeah, each other. So right. it's given us the ability to kind of move at a much quicker pace. Right. And when we go into marketplaces, we're not looking to take up 10,000 square feet of office space. We can function on a floor plate of 
1,500 square feet and do it very, very comfortably. Yeah. So you we think, can we yeah. can grow at a, a much pa- much faster pace than some of the other companies. You think you were ahead of the curve? Matt spent his whole high school social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1996 uh, was, a, was, a, <laughs> was a hell of a year. Uh, I, you know, one thing that um, we've talked about before on the program, uh, but like you guys are big in Victoria, you're big in Vancouver, you're uh, moving to Kelowna. Um, I, I still think, and you've done this on the show before where you kind of break, break down commercial, but commercial is still kind of an intimidating space for a lot of people. Um, you know, if we have people out there that are listening that are like, hey, you know, I'm an aspiring real estate investor. I have one, two residential doors, maybe commercials uh, for me, but you know, not the deep pockets yeah. uh, uh, type uh, investor. What would you suggest if they were looking in BC right now? What's what's kind of the a hot ticket item for somebody with you know a limited budget, but uh, but looking to get into the commercial space? Well, I think if you look at, you I mean, I think if you get outside of the lower mainland markets and you get into Victoria or maybe an Nanaimo or a Kamloops or a Kelowna, I think those marketplaces are going to see growth because of the because of the, unfortunately because of the pandemic that people will look maybe to to other areas and employ look to these areas. But the price point isn't overwhelming. And a lot of people have this intimidation of commercial. They think it's a bunch of guys sitting on top of a tower in New York that own everything. And you know, you're know you calling a guy in New York to talk to them. And you'll realize 95% of the owners are like your neighbors. They've invested in commercial real estate. Um, we have management companies and William Wright Property Management is an example where we manage properties on a day-to-day basis for clients. So when they buy a property or a building or a multifamily building, for example, we have a management side of the business that deals with everything. So that way it can almost be a careless investment opportunity for them. Once people get into commercial and they they always sort of buy like a small unit, they try it out and then they realize it's not as intimidating as they thought. And then we see people expand that portfolio where, you know, five years later, they got three commercial units now. And a lot of things is just an education process. And one thing I think that we do really, really well is we will we'll hold the buyer's hand, especially first-time buyers coming into that market, to teach them what they're buying, how it operates. We're available 24-7. We have clients that we've sold product to that we'll call two years later with a question and we'll call them right back. Like it's sort of yeah. a very interactive service that we'll offer them. But you mean, I think once people sort of figure out how it works, it's not nearly the intimidating monster that everyone perceives it to be. And and, and in terms of capital required, if we're, you're thinking kind of – Victorian and I am okay yeah. loops. Like what's the, what's the kind of the, the minimum somebody would need to even think about playing in this market? Well, you can look at, if you look in Kelowna, for example, where you're getting very attractive cap rates and those are probably like in the four to six range, I guess, depending on the asset class and the, what you're buying and where you're buying it. Um, you mean you can be finding product up there probably for as little as $250,000 for a small office space or $400,000 for a small office space or industrial space. And when you're looking at buying those, a lot of times you're looking at probably 20 to 25% down when you do it. Now your closing costs are a little bit different because you have banks, lawyers and your lawyer you got to pay for. But overall, you can get into this, into those marketplaces probably a lot cheaper than you can maybe buy like a one or two bedroom condo downtown. And, and Corey, talk about triple net because this is this is another thing I think that a lot of people don't don't appreciate. Well, when you like, when we go back to multifamily. If I'm renting a condo, I'm paying you two thousand bucks, and um, that two thousand bucks you got to pay property taxes, you might have to pay strata fees, you have to pay insurances, you have all those costs that got to come out that two thousand dollars. So that's why we were saying how the expenses are growing, but the rent's not maintaining pace. You're actually going backwards if you don't turn your unit over. Or you have, a, unfortunately, like a legacy type lease in place where someone's been there for so long, the rents haven't caught up. You go into a traditional triple triple net lease, that's where I'm going to pay you a base rent price, which we negotiate up front for however long we do, and that doesn't change. But then I have triple net costs I pay you as a landlord on top of that. And the triple net costs fluctuate year to year. Your costs as a landlord, as those go up from your property taxes to your insurances, those all get passed on to the tenant. So you can almost bank on that that base rent that you've negotiated. That's the money used for debt servicing to pay your mortgage if you have one. So you can bank on that coming in every single year because all of your costs are paid by the tenant and those unfortunate costs as they go up are passed down to the tenant through what you call your triple net costs or your additional rent costs. So it creates kind of a safety net there for investors. You can kind of almost, almost bank on a certain return. Right. And how about like the typical length of, of leases? Because I mean, this is, I've, I've heard that this is different in other areas of Canada. Yeah. 
Um, and Vancouver is kind of, you often see like, especially in like an office lease, you'll see maybe two or three years um, where that lease is in place. Is that, yeah. is that quite typical well, when, or is it negotiated or how yeah, does it work? Yeah, you're 100% negotiated. So a unit goes up for lease, it goes up for tender and a, a tenant will offer how long they want it for and, and the terms and then obviously how much they want to pay. When demand spikes, inventory goes almost to nothing in certain asset classes, landlords could you know say, I don't want three years. I want five. I want 10. Like our office lease in Vancouver is, is 12. So when we're, we're doing that is we're Jeez, negotiating up front. Like a marriage. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 12. We're, we're lucky. We have phenomenal landlords. So we're very, very lucky. And if they're listening, maybe they give us a little bit of a break next year. <laughs> um, but no, they're, they're, they're great. And when you're negotiating up front, is there signs like tenant inducements, they'll call them, where you might get some free rent or some tenant improvement allowance to help build out your space. The longer term you go, the easier it is for the landlord to amortize those costs in. So usually there's a little bit more you can, more you can play with at the start. But when demand is so low, Sort of demand so high, inventory so low, landlords could almost say, I appreciate your two-year offer, Matt, but Adam here's giving me five. And Adam, I appreciate your five, but Tom just walked in and gave me seven. So you mean terms like that have gone up? It's very typical, like in prime retail markets, most terms are 10 years. And then you'll see as much as probably as little as maybe three years, and that's more so in the industrial asset class, maybe office. But you know, those those terms have been have been increasing as demand has been going up and inventory shrinking because landlords want security. So Corey, obviously, I mean, since since we've known you, we've known you for years, but you've been really focusing on markets outside of Vancouver, in addition yeah. to having your core business in Vancouver. Yeah. Why why are you excited about areas like Kelowna or Kamloops or or Victoria? Well, I think when you look at it from an investment standpoint, if I have a hundred thousand dollars, I mean, and I'm getting a return on that hundred thousand dollars, I would rather get a four or five percent return than maybe a two or three. And the trick to it is when you look into markets, you got to really look at the vacancy rates because you, it'll be really easy to get your eyes will, will detour on you and you'll see a six or a seven percent cap rate, which is great. But those numbers only really reflect that type of return if it's fully stabilized or fully leased. And if the product's not fully leased, then those numbers can be haunting. And when you look at the Alberta market, you might find some things that might have seven, eight or nine percent cap rates. But they also have a 15% vacancy rate. And when you take that vacancy rate and you run your numbers off of that, these cap rates might not be much different than what we see over here on an annual basis if those vacancy rates prove to be true. And that's why I think you're seeing so many institutional type buyers and REITs are buying in BC at lower cap rates, but the vacancy rate is so low, it makes it almost like a stress-free purchase. And when you go to Kamloops and Kelowna, you're finding these vacancy rates that are, are sub 1%, sub 2% in some multifamily areas, that you're getting a 5% return versus getting a very similar vacancy rate in Vancouver, but at a 3% return. So you're, you're saying basically, because I mean, we, we were just actually, I think it was Prince George we were talking about the cap rates are, you know, 8% or something yeah. along those lines uh, for, for like small multifamily. But when you actually look at it, like the, the I, I'm not sure exactly what the vacancy rates are in Prince George, but if you're not offsetting that against yeah. the vacancy rate, you, there's a good chance that you're going to be, you're going to be similar at the end of the yeah. day anyways. And you don't own in kind of the prime, yeah. prime well, real estate not, location. Yeah, you're not, yeah, exactly. Well, here, here's a good example. Possibilities are not If there. you look at Victoria multifamily and you go back to maybe three years now, you would see maybe a 5% cap rate, maybe even a 5.5% cap rate. Now, that exact same product that hasn't changed with probably a very similar income it did then is now trading at a 3.5% cap rate. So when cap rates fall, prices go up. And when cap rates fall, it's less income you're having to pay for the same purchase, for paying more for a property. And the reason why we saw that shift is because the vacancy rate in the multifamily industry in Victoria is almost the same as Vancouver. So when you look at it from a buyer's perspective, if I'm going to buy this multifamily house for three or four million and I'm going to get two or three percent in Vancouver with a one percent vacancy, I can go to Victoria and buy that same house for two, that same purchase price of two or three million, but get maybe a five percent return with a one percent vacancy rate. Now that's where, like I said, the numbers have, have come off because the numbers, the cap rates have come down because investors have picked up on that. And whenever you're looking at a marketplace that has a very attractive cap rate, dig deeper, find out the vacancy rates of that asset class because that will be the telltale sign that you have to factor into your annual numbers. 
Can we talk about like, so Kelowna market you're going into, what are the vacancy rates right now in Kelowna? Well, you know, they're all over the, the map in different asset classes. But when you look at it like from a multifamily perspective, you're probably seeing vacancy rates probably around 2.5%. Like, you know, there's various reports that that number fluctuates. But if we just take a blended average of 2 to 2.5% vacancy rate, if you look at the office market, and a lot of these reports are kind of pre-COVID, you go back a couple of years, you probably saw an office vacancy rate of around probably 6.5%. That probably fell to as low as 4%. Pre-pandemic, where that sits after, you mean we'll have to see. But the thing when you look into these marketplaces and you're looking to buy, you also want to know what type of absorption rate is there for new product coming in. Because if it has a very low vacancy rate right now, generally that tracks development. And if I have a low vacancy right now and I have 200,000 square feet coming on the market, I need to know how much is that spoken for? What is the absorption rate? Because if the absorption rate's really, really low, when that comes available, the, the inventory is going to spike. And as a landlord, when my inventory spikes, typically numbers come off. So you kind of want to look at things sort of in a three-prong approach. And that's where when you're investing in these markets, make sure you have someone that's local that knows that market, but also make sure you're getting the right information before you spend your money. Why are you bullish on Kelowna specifically? And I know it's it's busy there, specifically in the residential market right now. It's yeah. very, very busy. But like what why are you why are you bullish on that market? Well, one thing we look for is we look for how many industries are supporting that marketplace. And if we go back Kelowna as an example, go back maybe 10, 15 years, you probably had a lot of money coming out from Alberta, from the oil sands. You probably had a lot of people in Vancouver that were looking for maybe a a more attractive investment or maybe they're cashing out some equity. But now when you look in Kelowna, you've got so many thriving industries that prop up that economy. Tech is 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 a marketplace that's moving in there. They call Kelowna kind of the California of Canada, that you're finding that the tech industry is now coming in. Real estate is booming. Tourism is booming. And when all those markets start taking off, now education falls in place. Recently announced there's a big expansion right. to the UBC campus up there. So education now comes in place. And when all that starts hitting, well, now what happens when people get sick? Now we've got to expand our hospital systems. Now we've got to expand our education systems. So it creates a really big spinoff approach. So one reason why we like it so much and we liked it so much pre-pandemic was you have so many industries now thriving up there to support that economy and you're not going to run into a situation like unfortunately say Calgary did where it was really dependent on one industry and if that pivots, you're all left holding the bag. Right. So maybe as a last question, Corey, uh, one thing that's kind of underlying this conversation is um, we're, we're socially distanced right now, but the numbers are spiking every day in BC. And yet uh, we were talking before we went live about kind of a, a, a new sense of optimism in the market, right? Like it does feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're turning a corner here. Is that what you're seeing on the commercial side of things? 100%. And I think there's been so much pent up about the second wave, that now that we're kind of in the thick of it, that coupled with the positive news coming from companies like Pfizer on vaccines, that I think people are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think because we kind of went through this last spring, summer, when it first approached us, we probably have some some knowledge of maybe what to expect to some degree. And I think that that now that we're realizing that we're almost in December, after December comes spring, pretty much, that that's hopefully going to be the out on the other side. And I was reading a really good article that came out of the States and it was talking about a major medical uh, a major medical doctor down there. And he was saying with these announcements and the medical breakthroughs, this is the beginning of the end. And that's where I think a lot of people are kind of feeling that same thing coming out of this, that there's a lot of optimism out there. I think there's a lot, you know, with the low interest rates, it's making it very attractive for sellers. And I think right now we probably haven't had the carnage maybe that some other cities, provinces and countries have experienced that we've in Vancouver, that there's probably been a lot of people sort of like, hey, this isn't, this maybe wasn't as bad as we first expected that, hey, there's, this is going to be okay. You know, and, and just as a, as an aside, uh, I was speaking with, uh, Klaus Rode, who's been on the show before yesterday. Um, and he was saying students are now that students are coming back are allowed back. Uh, I guess international students are starting to slowly trickle back to Vancouver. But we were talking about that kind of entry level downtown market studios, one beds, and his sense on the rental side was we've turned a corner there as yeah. well. Um, that that the absorption is happening quicker and the rents, yeah. you know, we're not kind of in that free fall feeling we were months back. So uh, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of positive news out there. Apart from the fact that uh, there's Basically a thousand cases every yeah. day, uh, <laughs> laughing through the tracks of my tears here. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I think I if I can, if I can just leave you with one thought on the condo market downtown is I think when people have got to remember is Vancouver's landlocked. 
there's only so much there. And when you look at the Amazons and the apples of the world that are coming into this marketplace, they're going to be creating hundreds, if not, not thousands of net new jobs. These are very, very well-paid young people that will be able to afford the condo prices and also be able to afford to pay the rents. So although we're probably at a hiccup right now, I mean, we're in such a unique marketplace that continues to bounce back. And I really foresee that happening in the, in the right, coming years. Right. And, and, and they're pandemic proof. Amazon, you mean? Amazon, yeah. Well, yeah. Anything. I mean. They got bigger. They got bigger. Yeah. They're like uh, William Wright commercial real estate. Yeah, there's only two things that grew during the (laughs) pandemic. The the, the difference is there's probably maybe like 30 to 40 of us and there's probably maybe 30 to 40,000 of them. So we're we're moving at a much slower pace. Well, Matt and I grew during the pandemic, (laughs) mainly. 36 belt size. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, (laughs) maybe we'll leave it there. Yeah, thanks so much for your time, Corey. And uh, yeah, it was good seeing you from a distance. Yeah, yeah. And, and how can people find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, they can they can visit us online. They can go to williamwright.ca, our website there, and they can sign up for all of our, our newsletters and all of that stuff. And then as well as all of the contact information for all the offices, including myself, is on that website. So people are always welcome to email us or call us and just ask what's going on. And we're always happy to share. And if someone is out there who is kind of a... a a residential real estate investor, but wants to kind of dip their toe in in the commercial market, is is that somebody that you can help out, or that 100%. you guys can help out? Yeah, we've got we've got a very diverse group of individuals that operate in different asset classes and different markets. So we're, we're more, we definitely would have somebody there that, depending on where they want to buy and what asset class and what area, we'd have definitely have a specialist there that could help. So without physically touching you, they will hold your hand through this and. You got uh, it. Yeah. Thanks Thanks again for your time, Corey. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Corey Wright, managing broker over at William Wright Commercial. Really enjoyed having Corey on the program. Always a treat having Corey in the studio. It was. He's a busy guy, but uh, it would be great to have him around more often. So uh, yeah, we're going to start check your inbox. There's another invite coming, but uh, really great episode and uh, I learned a lot. Yeah, no, it's a a really interesting moment for for residential, but definitely commercial. I mean, Uh, especially in a city like Vancouver where office vacancies were so rock bottom low and, uh, and now there's some opportunities. So. And there's a lot of interplay between the markets. So, I mean, it's uh, part of the reason we want to have Corey back and checking in on an ongoing basis is just because the commercial market often re- informs the residential and vice versa, right? There's a lot of connection in these markets. And if you're monitoring Vancouver, you need to know what's going on in commercial real estate as well. We're looking for a holistic approach here at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But what else do we have today, Adam? Well, there's only one thing we want to talk about, and that's our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is where all things Vancouver real estate live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the Live Wire. This yes. is our weekly mailer. There's no reason you shouldn't be on this list. In fact, we sent out stats, submarket stats, yeah. real estate board stats this morning, I right. believe, right. Uh, before anyone else. We also got Deal of the Month. Uh, we have things like the Sellers Club on the Live Wire. But uh, but last but not least, we have private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free at your fingertips. It is the best resource out there when you're looking for real estate in Vancouver. It's uh, fantastic, and it's free on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. If you're not using PCS to search Vancouver Real Estate, you are doing it wrong. That is for sure. If you want to talk about that or anything uh, real estate related or not, give me a call, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And, you know, the numbers are increasing out there, so uh, we just want to wish everybody uh, well and to take care over the holidays here. We're going to be back next week, but in reality, stay safe. Stay safe, stay home, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.